Amen. Glad to have one of our kids and one of our grandkids here today, our son and our grandson, one of our grandsons. So it uh, kind of makes it a special Father's Day treat for me to have them representing all our children and all our grandchildren. Uh, I know that most of you probably remember about five years ago I preached a sermon here on all of you probably have all these memorized in your head I'm sure but uh, I, I believe it was five years ago I preached a sermon here about uh, different kinds of dads and I talked about uh, how that there's a, a kind of a, a spectrum of dads from the worst kind of dad to maybe the best kind of dad and uh, and I want to remind you of those today before I actually bring my message because I'm speaking today on how to honor imperfect parents. How do you honor imperfect parents? And believe it or not, there are a lot of people who don't honor their parents because they think of them as not worthy of honor. And yet the Bible categorically tells us to honor our father and our mother. And uh, the book of Proverbs emphasizes over and over and over and over again that we are to honor our father and our mother no matter who they are, what they've done, where they are, and uh, what kind of honorable or dishonorable life they may have lived. So I want to remind you today, by the way, I sent a text to a friend of mine up in Arkansas, and, and uh, he said, uh, uh, what are you preaching on for Father's Day? And I said, how to honor imperfect fathers, or how to honor imperfect parents. And he wrote back, he said, as if there were any other kind. And I said, hey, you're exactly right, you're exactly right. So let me remind you of the, of the spectrum of the dads. I said, just mentioned there's over 1,650 references to fathers in the Bible. So it's a big deal to God. And so let's just think about the different kinds of dads. I said that if we were to go just to the, to the worst one, we might just call them deadbeat dads. Uh, the Bible says if any provide not for their own household, he's denied the faith. Worse than an infidel, 1 Timothy 5, 8. So there are dads that are just absolute, uh, uh, what's the right word? Uh, deadbeat, <laughs> there we go, it's a good word. And uh, they're, they're not just negligent, they just are, are almost uh, non-existent. Sometimes these dads, uh, maybe for selfish reasons, they've just abandoned the family. For uh, uh, maybe it's b because they didn't have a choice, and they're they're not in the the picture, and uh, so the, this would be the very worst kind. So we'll t think about that when we think about how to honor uh, all imperfect dads. And then there's what I call distant dads. These are dads like David in the Bible. We always think of King David as such a a model for everything, but he was not a good model. For a father, he, uh, he never in any way interacted with his kids, and he never told them no. He didn't disciple them. He didn't help them. They were, they were uh, a bunch of losers, actually, and uh, uh, 
you know, one of his sons uh, raped one of his daughters. Just a horrible thing. Another one of his sons uh, led a rebellion against David, tried to take the kingdom away from him. He just had some pretty horrible sons, but it was because he was just not in their life. He just was a, uh, he had his focus on everything else but his kids. So I call him a distant dad. And then there's the distracted dads. And this uh, good example of this is Samuel. Samuel had sons who uh, did not emulate the character of their dad. Samuel was a great prophet. He was a great teacher, a great example in a lot of ways. But uh, he was so involved, really, in ministry that he just neglected his own sons, and his sons grew up without following his example. I've told you before, I think, that uh, when our kids were, were, were young, I, I always uh, looked at the example of Samuel and also other men in the Bible, and I said, God, I don't want to ever be so involved in ministry that I neglect my wife and neglect my children. And I wish I could say I always did that, but there were times that I would get so pulled into what I was doing in the ministry that my own wife would say, in fact, I think she said to me one time, uh, uh, honey, I, I know you're a, a wonderful shepherd and uh, you really take care of the sheep in your flock, but she said, don't forget, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lambs too, you know, something like that. And say so that she was a, a lamb that needs the shepherd just as much as any other lamb. So, and I, I wanted, I don't want to be a, a distracted husband, distracted dad. I want to love my wife more than I love my ministry. And I want to love my kids and my grandkids now my great-grandkids uh, more than I love what I do. All right, so that's the distracted. And then there's the defeated dads. This is Eli is a good example. Eli is another <clears throat> father who was, uh, uh, he was given over to his own uh, lust. He was given over to appetite. He was given over to uh, uh, kind of a being, uh, uh, having a show of spirituality, but not being spiritual, really. And he was defeated by his own sins, and as a result of that, his sons also uh, were uh, damaged greatly by his failure. And then there's the dedicated dads. This way we're moving into a little more comfortable area here. So we start out with the worst. We're moving along the line. And now we come to the dedicated dads. I think of Simon, of Serene. We can think of other biblical characters. The Bible says that uh, Simon, who carried the cross of Jesus, was recognized and identified as the sons, the father, rather, of Alexander and Rufus. Isn't that interesting that uh, that's the way he's recognized? They didn't actually remember him as the man who carried the cross of Jesus. They remembered him as the father of Alexander and Rufus. And uh, Alexander and Rufus were leaders in the early New Testament 
church. And they became, uh, possibly because of the, of the dedication of their dad, leaders and followers of Jesus, okay? And then there's the directed dads, I call them. It says, many run in a race, but only one wins the prize. Run to win. Since we are surrounded by so many witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and run with endurance the race set before us. There are some dads who have the, the finish line set before them, and they are directed in the way they live. They run for the goal. All right, and, and then there's the discipling dads. Uh, Paul was a good example of this. He didn't have any children of his own, but he had lots of spiritual children, and Timothy was one of them. And he said to Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, I charge th this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, that you might war a good warfare. Wouldn't it be great to have the Apostle Paul as your spiritual father. My goodness, what discipling he must have done with his spiritual son, Timothy. I have, uh, have and will receive today uh, uh, Father's Day greetings from my son and both my daughters, but I also received a Father's Day greeting from a son of mine in Bulgaria. And uh, I didn't father him as far as the physical birth, but he thinks of me as his spiritual father. And I think of him as my spiritual son. And we've spent many, many years discipling him. And by the way, he disciples me some too, as does my son and my daughters. So, and then there's the devoted dad. And uh, when I preached this message years ago, I showed you a video at this point of Dick Hoyt. He's not a biblical character. I know some of you are trying to remember. I don't remember where in the Bible we find Dick Hoyt. Well, you won't find him in the Bible. But he was a man who had a, a brain-damaged or a cerebral palsy son that was born, and he took that son home. Even against the advice of the doctors, the doctors said put the boy in an institution. He took him home with him and raised him and helped him. And when he got to be a young man, maybe in his late teens, he discovered that his son, even though he had muscular and uh, what's it called, uh, motor damage, his mind was sharp. They didn't know that until he got to be a little older. And then one day his son was able to communicate to him, Dad, what I really love is sports. And what I would love is to participate in a, in a 5K run. Well, the boy couldn't even walk, much less run. So Dick Hoyt said to his son, Rick Hoyt, I will take you on a 5K run. I'll put you in the wheelchair, and I'll push you. And he did, and he pushed him. And he said he saw such joy in his son when they finished that 5K run, which Dick said it like killed him. 
But uh, from that time on, he said, son, if this makes you happy, if this is what pleases you, we will run for the rest of my life. And he has run in dozens of marathons and at least eight or ten triathlon where you swim for a few miles and then you bicycle for 150 miles and then you finish by running a marathon, 26.2 miles. And he does all that pulling his son. He swims with his son in a raft, and he swims pulling that raft. Then when he reaches that, I don't remember how many miles it is in the swim. Do any of you remember? Two miles, two miles in the swimming. And then when he gets out of finished the swimming, he picks Ricky up and takes him and puts him on a bicycle, and then he bicycles 150 miles and it's usually uphill half the way anyway. And then after he finishes that, he puts him in his wheelchair and then pushes him for 26.2 miles. And he does that over and over and over again. And uh, it is incredible. And we showed the video. I wish I had thought we would have brought it today, but that would have taken more time than I uh, But I think of him as an example of a devoted dad. Now, here's the truth. Most of us dads uh, move back and forth between some of these, don't we? We move back and forth between the distracted dad and the discipling dad, and between the devoted dad and the distant dad. And so none of us do it right, do we? Wouldn't it be nice if we could have just been the perfect father? That would have been so good. If I could have just known and, and my wife could have known if we could have been perfect parents. But rats, we weren't. We weren't. As a matter of fact, once you get to our age, you can look back and see with telescopic vision and microscopic vision, and you can say, wow, I messed that up there. Sure wish I had done differently. And we could live with a lot of regret if we weren't careful. But I want to be careful. And I want to say to us dads, 10 things. Now I know I've given the introduction, so now here's the sermon. Okay. Number one, God sovereignly determined who your parents would be. You didn't choose who your parents would be, did you? Now, I know there's a lot of kids who say, well, I wish I could have chosen, but uh, the fact is God chose your parents. And even if you didn't grow up with your parents, he chose the parents that would bring you into this world, but he also sovereignly chose the parents that would bring you up in this world. If you're adopted or, or, or if you uh, uh, didn't get to grow up with your parents. But here's the thing, and it's so important to understand this. The parents that you have, God determined them to be your parents. 
And so when you think about it, it when, you, when you complain against your parents, there's a certain sense in which you're complaining against God. God sovereignly determined your parentage. Now, number two, your parents were imperfect. Your parents failed. In fact, they probably are more aware of their imperfections maybe even than you are. But maybe not. Maybe there are some parents who think, you know, I crushed it. And the kids are saying, you crushed me. You didn't crush being a parent. You're not as good as you think you are. But the fact is, no matter how you feel about it, your parents were imperfect. There's only one perfect father in the Bible, and that's God. And when we start the Lord's Prayer and we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, we are speaking to the only perfect father that there is in the whole universe. So your parents were imperfect. And then number three, all parents hurt and disappoint their children. All parents hurt and disappoint their children. I think back on my growing up, my mother was just wonderful, but I can think of several times where she was not fair. She made decisions and that I looked at and I said, well, that was wrong. I remember one time I was driving. She was, I was 16, just learning to drive, 15, just learning to drive. And I was uh, driving along, and I got a little too close to another car or something, and she just, out of fear, just scolded me far beyond what I deserved. I thought. And, uh, and I, for a long time, I would think about it. I'd think, well, that was wrong for her to do me that way. Wasn't that silly? Yes, that was silly. Because instead of thinking of all the good things she had done for me, I got focused on that time that she hurt my feelings and embarrassed me. And uh, all parents hurt and disappoint their children. All parents make some decisions that they look back on and say, I wish I hadn't have done that. All parents are unfair at times. And uh, there were times, there was one time my dad whipped me for something I hadn't done. And I thought about that for months until my brother reminded me of all the times that I didn't get caught doing things that I should have got a whipping for. And the times that I'd, I didn't get whipped even after I got caught. And I remember one time my mother, I'd done something really, really bad. And she took me into the bathroom, took her belt, and she said, uh, uh, you deserve a whipping. I said, yes, ma'am. And she whipped her own leg so that my brother could hear the licks and thought I was getting a whipping. But my mother was getting a whipping. She whipped herself. And then she told me that I probably ought to cry. So it looked like I'd got a whipping. Now I know she was lying, all that kind of stuff, so don't judge her. 
But it made a great impression on me. And I thought, wow, those licks should have been falling on me. But she took them herself. And, uh, but there, but I, I tended to forget those kind of times whenever she would make a decision to do something that I thought was not fair or disappointed. So all parents hurt and disappoint their children. Number four, we are all in a parental line. There is the dad you had. And then there is the dad that he had. And then there's the dad that he had. Not many of us know much beyond that second or third dad, do we? I don't know much at all about my dad's granddad. I don't know much about him at all. In fact, I, I, I never met him. I knew his name, but I, but I didn't know him. And then there was the dad he had. And all of the stuff just kind of cascades forward. So there's the dad I had. There's the dad he had. And then there's the dad that I was. And am. And then there's the dad that my son is. And then there's the dad that his sons will be. So the point is that we're all in a, a parental line. And there is no one in that line that can be chosen as the ideal and I'm not really sure what point I was trying to make with that. I know when I wrote it down, I had a really good point. But I've lost the point. So what point will the Holy Spirit help you make with that? Just, I told the kids in Bible school that it, I would love to have a time machine where I could go back in time keep thinking they're going to invent one of those before I die, but uh, I'm about to give up on it. But I would love to go back. They were asking, you know, where would you go back in time? One of the places I would want to go back in time was to when my dad was a little boy. I would like to go back and see what kind of parenting was happening in his life. And then I'd like to go back and meet my great-great-great-great-grandfather and see what kind of parenting he had. Well, you make the point. I can't remember it, okay? Number five, we tend to remember failures more than successes. Isn't that sad? We tend to look back on our parents, and we don't see the motives in their heart. We don't see the affection in their heart. We don't see the, the sacrifices that they made. We don't see the nights they stayed up, the times that they uh, helped us at, at their own expense. But we do tend to remember their failures more than their successes. It's kind of the moat and the beam idea. We look back at our parents many times and we see the speck in their eye. And we think, well, they're, they certainly weren't all that. They disappointed me. And all the time we've got a two-by-four sticking in our eye. 
And God says, Jesus said, you take the beam out of your own eye first. Then you'll be able to see clearly. Number six, children expect, and I put this in all caps, children expect their parents to be good parents. They do. They kind of, they, they expect their parents to do right, to be fair, to meet their needs, to be there for them when they're hurting, to be there for them when they are uh, involved in activities and things like that. They expect their parents to be good parents. But, number seven, we often judge our parents with a standard that we would never want to be judged by ourselves. We look at our parents and we evaluate them kind of in a judgmental and negative way. We look at their failures, their faults, their flaws, and we would never want anybody to do that to us. And I know I've told you, you know, my dad failed me in many ways. And sometimes I look back on that and I remember those times that he disappointed me and hurt me and embarrassed me. But God is just saying to me, you know, you yourself don't want to be judged by that measure. You don't want your children looking at you and remembering the ways you hurt, disappointed, and failed them. You want them to love you and forgive you and, and uh, accept you, warts and all. And that's true, isn't it? That is what I want. I want my kids to say, you know, Dad wasn't perfect, but I love him anyway. He wasn't perfect. Mom wasn't perfect, but I love her. She's the one that God, he's the one that God assigned to bring me up. So, number eight, forgive as you have been forgiven and as you want to be forgiven. And help them, help your parents, overcome shame and regret. I saw the movie this last year, year before last, of uh, now I can't think of either one of their names. The uh, Bart Millard, who sang "I Can Only Imagine," and the movie was about the serious conflict between him and his dad. And as I watched that movie and I saw a failing dad and a fighting son who were reconciled by the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what God wants to do in every parent-child relationship. He certainly allows us as parents to fail. But he also desires that in that failing relationship, there will be grace. And the same grace that our perfect Heavenly Father gives to us as his children, 
He wants us as parents to give to our children, but he also wants us as children to give to our parents. Just in the last day or two, I've tried to focus on and concentrate on the things that my dad taught me. And there were a lot of them. He taught me to love and respect and protect people who are weak. He said, some people don't have anybody to stand up for them. He said, you always be the one who will stand up for those who don't have anybody to stand up for. It made a big impression on me. He said to me when I was a little boy, son, if you have to make a choice between a good name or being rich and famous, you choose a good name. He didn't. He may not have known the Bible verse that says a good name is rather to be chosen than riches. But that's what he taught me. He also taught me to... Uh, love my wife my dad wrote me a letter when I was about five months old he had never seen me I was born two days after he shipped out to go overseas and he didn't see me until I was two years old but he wrote me a letter when he was in a fierce part of the battle he wrote me a letter because he said I may never see you you may never know me but I want you to have these this letter from your dad. And I still have that letter. 75 years old. Almost. And I still have that letter. And I've transcribed it so I would never lose it because I read it so many times. In fact, I read it at his funeral. And in that letter, he told me to always love my mother. And he said, always treat women with respect. And he taught me after he got home from the war, you always stand when a woman enters the room. And you never sit down if a woman is standing. That's amazing, things like that. Even when I go to New York City to visit our daughter there, I get on the subway and I'll sit down. And if a woman gets on, I cannot stay seated. I just cannot sit down if a woman is standing up. And that's thanks to my dad. So I remember my dad as a man of character, integrity, wisdom, and affection who was an imperfect dad. He, he failed, but so have I. And so will my son, so will my grandson will fail at being father. So forgive Number eight is forgive as you have been forgiven and want to be forgiven. Help them overcome shame and regret. Number nine, celebrate God's wisdom 
in giving you imperfect parents. God had a purpose in giving you a mom and a dad that weren't perfect. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, and we do, don't we? Don't we believe in God's sovereignty? Then we have to believe that our parents are part of that plan that he had that design. So celebrate. Celebrate God's wisdom in giving you imperfect parents. I've done that this week. And, uh, and then number 10, this is the last one, express your love as often as possible and in appropriate ways. Uh, you won't always have your mom and dad with you. There will come a day when you'll stand at a graveside, as I have with both of my parents, and there will be thoughts that will come to your mind, like, man, I wish I had. I wish I had have told them more. I wish I had thanked them more. I wish I had expressed my affection more. So, wouldn't it be a lot better to stand at that grave someday and say, I'm glad I did, instead of I wish I had. But the difference is not in the decision you'll make on that day. It's the decision you make on this day while you can. So uh, here's has this been kind of a bummer of a sermon. Okay, all right. I was, you know, people look. I'm looking out, and I'm thinking some people are looking like, I wish I'd have stayed home today. And <laughs> no, I, and I'm not picking on the dads. Am I being a little bit? <laughs> uh, yeah, Ben said in Sunday school, "Oh, this is the day you're gonna get out your whipping uh, stick and whip all the dads." No, no, I, no. What I'm saying is that all of us, all of us. Have, have areas that we wish we'd have done differently. And, and so do our dads. So do our mothers. And so the call today is for us to look at the long picture. Look at the long line. See that parental line and realize that just as we are influenced by the imperfections of our parents, they were influenced by the imperfections of their parents. And they were influenced by the imperfections of their parents. And our kids will be influenced by our imperfections. And their kids will be influenced by their imperfections. So the gospel is this. God sent his son to die for imperfect people. We're sinners. We are sinners. And God loved us and loves us. And Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And God sent his son to die for sinners. And when Jesus gathered his disciples together for that last meal, 
He said, you know, I know you Jewish guys have heard all these 613 laws of the Torah. And you know you don't keep most of them, maybe any of them, perfectly. And you've seen how that the prophets kind of narrowed them down to a smaller number. And then I narrowed them down a few weeks ago to two and said, uh, love God and love your neighbor. But he said, now, tonight, I'm giving you a new commandment. Just one commandment. Think you can remember one? You can't remember 613, can you? But he said, I'm just going to give you one commandment. And here's the commandment. That you love one another. They say, oh, you've already told us that. I'm not finished. Let me finish, okay? You love one another as I have loved you. That's how I want you to love each other. And I think what God would say to me as a father and as a son, I want you to love your children and your grandchildren the way I've loved you. I want you to be the father to them by grace the way I have been a father to you. And so if today you were to say, well, you know, I don't have that kind of relationship with my Heavenly Father. I am a sinner. And I've heard the story about how Jesus died for sinners and rose again. But I've never really trusted him. This would be a great day for you to enter into that father-child relationship with a Heavenly Father. Now, if you're already a Christian, here's what we pray. We just pray, Father, perfect Father, Holy Father, Heavenly Father, help me to be to those around me and to those proceeding from me what you have been to me and what you are to me. Help me to love just like you love me. Help me love the way Jesus loves me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for what you've done in my own heart this week as I've thought about my own childhood and celebrated my dad and uh, realizing his imperfections but also realizing my imperfections. And uh, many times I think I've judged him over the years with a standard that I would never want to be judged by. And I just thank you for the lessons he taught me, the wisdom he shared with me. And even though he wasn't a, a real active Christian man, much of what he taught me certainly finds its root and truth in your word. And I pray that you'll help us as dads today and as sons today to look in both directions and to celebrate the dad we had and the mother we had and then to pass on to our children and grandchildren 
the love and the lessons that you've poured into our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.